9. Hebrews chapter 9. And tonight we're going to talk about what the Bible says about the judgments. And I'm not talking about me judging you or you judging me. That's not what we're talking about this evening. We're talking about people standing before the Lord one day. And by the way, he is the supreme judge. And people might say, well, what right does he have to judge everybody? Well, one reason he has a right is because he created everybody. And everybody's made for his purpose and to serve him. And not only that, he's the only person that's never done anything wrong. That gives him a pretty good right right there. And so he's given us his word. And the Bible says that we'll be without excuse if we stand before him because everybody's got a Bible and they can read it for themselves and they can know what's right and what's wrong. Our government, they don't get to decide what's right and what's wrong. They don't even know what's right. The Bible tells you what's right and what's wrong. Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And look in verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The Bible says everybody has an appointment with death. And that's really a thing you don't look forward to. I don't know why anybody would look forward to it, but anyway, it's just the way it is. Like an old preacher used to say, death runs in my family. Well, it runs in everybody's family. Everybody dies eventually. And we're not all looking forward to that because usually you've got to get sick in order to die. And anyway, it's bad and it's sad. Losing loved ones, it's awful. But that's really not what I'm talking about tonight. What I'm talking about is that last part. But after this, the judgment. Everybody's going to be judged. People say, well, I'll live my life how I want to. That's true, and God gives you that opportunity. But still, we're going to stand before him and give an account. So you can live your life how you want to. There's a guy that lived his life and come over here with one of our church fans the other night. And went in there and thought he wanted the Cadillac converters off of it. Well, he didn't know. There's cameras everywhere around this building, in this building, outside this building. And he's locked up in jail right now. He can live his life how he wants to, but that's what happens. When you get in a warrant for your, you say, well, I can steal them if I want to. You can steal them. But you still got to pay for it. It doesn't make any difference. And anybody that's still from a church, you got to be an extra special stupid. <laughs> All right. How about this? Go ahead and turn over to um, um, 2 Timothy. We're going to look at a few scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Narrow on in on what we're going to talk about. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, notice verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now notice he says he's going to judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. There is going to be a judgment. And there's actually more than one judgment. There's going to be two judgments. Because he's going to judge two different kinds of people. The word quick means alive or to be made alive. And you say, well, how do I know that's what that means? Well, you take your fingernail, for instance. And you pull it back to what they call the quick. You know what I'm talking about? And then get you a needle and stick it in it. You'll find out whether you're alive or not. <laughs> You'll know very quickly whether you're alive or not. You're going to feel that, and, I mean, it'll be on. And so the quicks, those that are alive, you say, who's that? Those people that's been saved, that's been born again, that's trusted Christ as their Savior. And then it says, and also the dead. 
That's people that did not trust Christ as a Savior. The Bible says before we get saved, we are in, dead in trespasses and sins. That's how God looks at us. We're dead in His sight because we've not been born again to be made alive on the inside. But when you get saved, you get made alive. And then it says this. He'll judge the quick and the dead. And then it says, at number one, at His appearing. And number two, His kingdom. So there's two judgments. There's a judge for the quick, those that are alive. That's going to happen after His appearing. The appearing's the rapture. The Lord taking us home. And after we get raptured out of here, whenever that's going to be, that's up to Him. When we get raptured out of here, the Bible talks about that. And guess what's going to happen? We're going to stand before the Lord for a judgment. All saved people have a special judgment. And then he's going to reign for, he's going to come back and reign for a thousand years, the Bible says. Over and over and over it says it. And we'll study that sometime too, maybe. And anyway, he's going to come back and reign. And after that, then he's going to judge those that have not accepted him. That's the dead. That's people that's rejected him. And that's going to be known as the white throne judgment. I'm not going to talk about that tonight. I'm going to talk about the one that saved people are going to stand before. And that's the quick at his appearing. And so the first judgment in line is called the judgment seat of Christ. You say, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked me. Turn to Romans 14. We'll just see how we know it. Get Romans 14 and then two books to the right, 2 Corinthians 5 from Romans. You find Romans, you go two books to the right and you'll be in 2 Corinthians. So we're Romans chapter 14 and then get 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, just listen along here and I'll read it to you. Romans 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Romans chapter number 14. We're going to look at it first. Romans 14. Romans chapter 14 verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the term. So you see I'm using that terminology because that's Bible terminology. Now a lot of people try to get fancy and you'll hear preachers say this all the time, and I've got friends I've heard say it, and they'll say, well, we're going to stand before the Bema seat. And that judgment seat comes from a Greek word, it's a Bema. You say, why do they say that? Just to sound smart. Why don't you just say the judgment seat of Christ? That's the English way to say it. So it's, to me, if you had to, every time they say the Bema seat, then they have to explain what it is. Why don't you just say judgment seat, and you won't have to say anything. Meanwhile, that's how, that's how Greek does for you. Uh, Greek's about as useful as pig Latin. All right, verse 11. <laughs> For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So I won't, oh yeah, everybody. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to who? God. That's pretty plain. They say, well, I'll, I'm skipping out on that. When I get there, I'll give him a piece of my mind. I highly doubt it. When I get there, you say, what are you going to do when you get there? I'm going to keep my mouth shut. That's what I'm going to do. That's exactly. I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking for me. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to fall down on my face. and I'm going to not say a word unless he tells me to. That's exactly what I'm going to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The second time we see this phrase. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now when he says all, he's talking to these people in Corinth that are saved people. It's a church there. 
We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. How about that? Then you can do good things and you can do bad things. And all of us will be judged over those things. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now notice it says, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. It's not going to be something that we're going to enjoy when God's pointing out all the bad things we've done and how we've let him down and how we failed him. As a matter of fact, it's going to be scary. And it has nothing to do with your salvation. It has to do with your service. And so I want to talk about that. So one more place, and we're going to stop and put in here and stop turning for a while. We might turn a little bit. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3 describes this judgment. And it doesn't use the term judgment seat of Christ or that phrase. But it, there's no doubt that's what it's talking about. And he's talking about a judgment. He's talking about rewards. And he's talking about working for some things. Now you don't work to get saved. You don't work to stay saved. You work because you are saved. But the truth is there's some things that God's going to reward us for doing a good job. He won't say to everybody, well done, thou faithful and good servant, or good and faithful servant. He's not going to say that to everybody. And uh, we just pray that he says it to each of us. That's what we want to try to do. We want to try to please him. So notice in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Now let me just stop right there. That says we're co-laborers with Christ. We're working with the Lord. You say, what are we doing in this church? We've got people in other buildings. They're teaching children. We've got people that's going to work at VBS. And if you're not working at VBS, we want you to work at VBS. We need everybody in part of it. We've got people that drive vans. We've got people that clean the church. We've got people that take care of the treasury, that kind of stuff. We've got people that do all kinds of different things. Working in the nursery, that's a big one right there. That's a hard job, but it's a great, important job. We've got people doing... All kinds of little things around here to keep everything going like it's going. And you say, what's that? We're co-laborers with Christ. No matter what job you have, it might seem like a not important job. But in God's eyes, it is. If you're working for the Lord, it's important. That's important business. And so, it's a big deal. Notice verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. Now, when it says that, God, um, the word husbandry, is like a farmer. And God's a farmer, so to speak. And we're his crop. And so you can relate to that. Farming's in the Bible, and farming's a good thing. And we're for farmers, by the way. And um, I'm for local farmers. I'm not for somebody like Bill Gates buying up all the farmland in America. Or in Arkansas, we want you to own the farmland and you to put out crops because you're putting out jobs. And you know what else you're doing? You're feeding people. That's a big deal. That's a great thing. That's a wonderful, it's not an easy living, I'm sure, because there's a lot of variables because you're dealing with rain or no rain. You're dealing with heat. You're dealing with insects. You're de- <laughs> there's no, hiring people. Good night. I mean, that might be the worst one. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's terrible things involved in it. But thank God we've got them. 
And, you know, and we live in, a, in an area where we have a lot of farmers. We've got a lot of farmers that go to our church, and we're thankful for each and every one of them. And we've got a lot of people that work on farms in our church, and we've got people that work, have jobs because of farms. Um, Brother Fred, I'd say a lot of his work, he's a mechanic. He works for himself and Sister Christina. But anyway, <laughs> but there he is. But he's a great, really, really good mechanic. But you know what? He works a lot for farmers. That's what he does. He doesn't work. He does, he's not employed by them, but he, you know, he does jobs for them all the time. And then you've got people out here. We've got a girl right back here that works over here at Greenway. We've got more of the Randall and some of them work at Greenway. They work helping farmers around. Well, the Bible talks about the Lord being a farmer. And guess what? We may not all work for a farmer or work on a farm around here. And in whatever line of work you're in, whatever God leads you to do, that's great. You do what God leads you to do. But the thing is, we ought to all be part of God's farm. And so he's a farmer, we're his crop, and we got to do a good job growing for him and serving him. And then he says, you are God's building, a building. And he likens us into a building. You're at the temple of the Holy Ghost, according to the Bible. And so that's an important thing. Notice that, and notice in verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Not only do we have farmers, we've got people in the line of construction. We've got people, Brother Luke and some of them built houses. Brother Luke's built a lot of houses in this town. Did it for 40 years. He was a contractor. Built them from the ground up. They, and they used to not even, as before you even set, now they sub everything out. But, I mean, they did it. You used to do the roofs and everything. Did you? I mean, climb up there. At one time, y'all was putting the shingles and stuff on at one time. And, his, and then found out that it'd probably be better to let somebody else do that. <laughs> it'd be a lot easier if you let somebody else. But, man, they'd frame them. And they'd, I mean, everything. All the, from the ground up, oversee it and handle that. And that's a good thing. I mean, that's, and, but one thing that they did, and uh, we did this ourselves. We caught, the church allowed me, I contracted this whole thing out. And then we had people in here in our church that were framing it. I didn't know how to do all that kind of stuff. I, knew, I know how to contract stuff. So that's what I use my specialty at. But anyway, the first thing you do is you get people like Brother Luke, Brother Herschel, Robbie, some of these people that know about all this kind of stuff, you get them involved, and they say, okay, we've got to have a foundation. So a foundation's poured. But before you can put the foundation and all the foundation, you've got to put footers in. If you put a house on concrete and don't put footers down, you're not very smart. You better put some footers down somewhere. And so really a house is not any better than its foundation. As a matter of fact, you could tear this whole building down and the foundation could still be intact. But you tear the foundation out of this, this building ain't going to stay. The foundation is so important to the structure and the integrity of the building. And the Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Our foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we ever get away from that as a church, we're finished. He's got to be the foundation in everything that we do. And we've got to remember that. Everything starts with Him. And everything's built on Him. If it's not built on Him, it's going to collapse and it's not going to work. He's got to be the cornerstone of it. And He's the strength of our church. He's the strength of everything we've got is the Lord Jesus Christ. People say, man, that church has grown like crazy. It has grown like crazy. 
We got a good crowd in here tonight. We got as many or more over in the other building. And man, we're in vacation mode. I mean, in the middle of June and everybody's on vacation here and there. We got people all over the, the country right now in, in all kinds of places. But God's been good to us. You say, well, what's the secret of y'all's success? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's the secret of our success. God's been good to us. It's not because of me or because of you or we're something special. It's because he's something special. He is special, by the way. And so that's what works out well. But we do have good people. <laughs> I have to agree with that. All right, not only that. Verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation. They, see, that's a foundation you can build on. If any man build upon this foundation. What do you want to build? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, I want you to notice something. There's three sep or two separate kinds of materials that he talks about people can build, spiritually speaking. This is not a house he's talking about. But what he says on, on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can build gold, silver, and precious stones, or you can build wood, hay, or stubble. You say, what's that? You know what wood is? A dead tree. You ever run a chainsaw? I need to be on one right now. I'm glad I'm not. I might be tomorrow for a little while. Uh, you say, what do you do? You cut up dead wood and get it out of the way, especially if you got one across a road that you can't get through, and I do. So sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And then you got hay. You say, what's that? Dead grass. It's hay cutting time around here. I keep driving by these fields, and I think, man, they ought to be cutting that, hadn't they? I don't know. Maybe I don't know anything. I guarantee you they're getting close. And then you got stubble. That's the dead hay. <laughs> That's the bottom part. You ever watch these farmers after they bring those combines through there and they get those combines and, and they, they take those crops out and there's something left? And a lot of times they'll either burn it off or they'll roll it in the ground and let it rot. I mean, there's different ways of doing it, and y'all know more, a lot more about it than I do, but I've watched enough to know they do that kind of stuff. You say, why do they do that? Because it's really not worth anything. They got the good part out of it. And what the Lord's saying is, you could put gold. Everybody knows gold's good. That's the most precious metal on earth. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing because the Lord, when he made heaven, he put a street of gold in it. So I know it's got to be a good thing if it's used in the right way. And then silver, that's a good thing. That's a precious metal. You bought silver lately? And precious stones, there's all kinds of rubies and diamonds and topazes and all these different things that you can buy. And so there's, there's no end to it. Those birthstones for every, every month, you know, they've got something. But there's all kinds of precious stones, emeralds. You read in the Bible, they've got these stones in heaven. You know, they've got, a, they've got a road up there that's made out of a street that's made out of gold. Well, you know what color gold is. And then it leads to the throne, and the throne, the Bible says there's a rainbow there. It's in Revelation 4 if you want to read it sometime. There's a rainbow there, and it says there's emeralds there. Just follow the yellow brick road. <laughs> you wonder where they get the premises to some of these movies? I think they might get them out of the Bible. But there's no wizard there. There's God there. <laughs> All right. So you've got good works and bad works. That's what he's talking about here. If any man build on this foundation, you build through your works. Not to get saved. We get saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift from God. But what we build with is gold, silver, and precious stones. In the Bible, when the Lord built the tabernacle, 
in the tabernacle in the Old Testament is where they met with God. I mean, it was a holy place. Part of it was called the holy place. And then they had one part called the Holy of Holies. And not just anybody could get in there. I preached on that Sunday morning or Sunday night. I don't remember which one it was about the high priest going in and them having to take a rope if he died in there and pull him out and all that kind of stuff, you know. Well, God, when he wanted to liken something unto deity, and he did that, he put gold. He said, I want you to put gold around all the furniture. And I want you to put it around there because that's going to represent me, he said. Because it's the most precious metal on earth. It's not God, but it just represented him. Just represented him. And then you read about silver. And silver was used for the price of redemption. And sometimes you'll see that about preaching the gospel and spread, spreading the gospel. And people use silver to buy things with. And they would redeem soldiers in the Old Testament with silver. With silver. And then Judas used silver for the wrong reasons. He sold the Lord out for 30 pieces of silver, if you remember that. And so he, that was a bad use of it. But anyway, he, it's not good, but that's a whole different thing. And then precious stones. Precious stones is people in the Bible. You say people? Oh, yeah, people. And so um, that's leading people to Christ. Now, here's the thing. Gold represents deity. Every time we worship God like he's God... I mean, we come in here and we think about what we're doing on a Sunday morning. And, man, people get up and sing. They're not, they're not putting on a show and saying, look at me. I'm up here in front of everybody. Ain't I something? You've done lost out in God's eyes. But when you get up there and say, you know what? I may not be the best in the world, but I'm going to do the best that I can for the honor and glory of God. Or I'm going to sit in that pew and I'm going to open up that psalm book and sing the best I can. I, I can't sing a lick. That's me. But I can open it up. And I can make a joyful noise unto the Lord because that's worship. And I'm just going to do the best I can anyway. And I'm going to sing for his honor and his glory. And man, if I get feeling good, I'm going to say amen or hallelujah. Those are Bible words, by the way. They say I'm in heaven. Raise your hands. The Bible talks about that. Old Testament and New Testament. Lifting your hands to the Lord. There's, that's biblical. I mean, you get worshiping in him like he's God. And you know what you can do? You can lay gold up in heaven. You can lay gold up in heaven. One time there was an old man and he, they'd take up the offering. And the usher would come by and he'd drop his tithe in there, you know. He'd say, see you later. I mean, every time, every Sunday. And he'd come by and they'd see you later. And the usher would look at him and say, that guy's lost it. And so one day he told the pastor, he said, you know, he said, I don't know if you pay attention when we take up the offering. He said, well, not really. I don't, I'm thinking about my message. And, and that's how most pastors are. That's, that's a whole different, they're worried about this. And anyway, he said, well, I go by old so-and-so. You know, he's getting up in years. And when he drops his offering in, he says, see you later. He said, I think he's lost his mind. He goes, no, he hadn't lost his mind. He said, he's just laying treasures up in heaven. You know, down here, they can get a hold of these things. Uh, right now, they're trying to do something. Um, it's not no longer a death tax. But if you transfer property upon death to your relatives... They're trying to get that now, the government. I say, why don't you just keep your hands off everybody's stuff? That's not yours. They paid their taxes. Leave them alone, you know. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to get your nest egg. So you work all your life and your life savings. You put a lot, you got a life savings and you got that or you got a retirement that you work for and you pass and you're going to give it to your kids or your grandkids or something. And now the government up there, Uncle Joe, they're wanting to take that. And not, your kids don't get it, but they get it. I think, 
why don't you just leave it alone? Why don't you let those people that work for it give it to who they They don't want you to have it because you're not going to use it right anyway. <laughs> you say, well, their kids won't. Yeah, but their daddy worked for it and their mama worked for it. Let them have what they're But Anyway, that's what we're living in. It's a crazy time right now. And just this whole world is crazy. But you know what? You can lay things up in heaven and the government can't tax that. They can't do anything about that. You lay it up in heaven, man, the Lord, that's his. I'd like to see them try to put a, a tax on heaven. Just go ahead. And then we'll see you at the judgment and see how that works out. <laughs> Not this judgment. But the other one we'll talk about next time. And then, so you got silver, that's redemption. And so then you've got, that's, that's telling people about the redeeming power of Christ and the blood that he shed at Calvary. Everybody ought to be a witness and tell others. And then precious stones is actually tr- uh, people trusting Christ. When you actually lead somebody to the Lord. And the Bible talks about getting stones in your crowns, which is a really neat thing. It's a really wonderful thing, as a matter of fact. And so that's what we ought to want to do. Look over in Malachi if you go to Matthew, that's the first book in the Old Testament, turn left to Malachi chapter 3. We ought to witness and tell people about the Lord. If you don't know what to tell them, tell them how the Lord saved you and what he did for you. That's the best thing you could do. Because you've got a unique testimony. But Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. If you go to Matthew, turn to the left, it's the next book. And get Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, look in verse 17, or look in verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him. For them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. He says, when I... Make um, up my jewels, then shall you return. All right, now look in Zechariah. That's the next book to the left. So you're in Malachi. Go one more book to the left. Zechariah chapter 9. There's 14 chapters in Zechariah, but look in chapter 9. And look in verse 16. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be as the stones of a crown. These people will be as the stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign upon his land. And so when I tell you these precious stones, there's going to be crowns given at this judgment. How about that? Did you know if you know the Lord is your Savior, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords? And the Bible says that you're part of his family. And since you're part of his family, you're going to get to reign with him. And not only that, the Bible says that you're going to get crowns for serving him. Man, that's going to be amazing to me. And you're going to have gold and silver and precious stones and all kinds of things. And anyway, it's, it's good. But the truth is, you can lose those crowns and those rewards. You say you can. Sure you can. This has to have to do with salvation, but you can. Um, go ahead and turn to Second John, almost back to Revelation. I'll show you a verse over there. Second John. Get that and get Revelation also. Revelation chapter probably three. 
or chapter 2. That's it. <laughs> All right, Second John in Revelation chapter... Is that the right one? I was right the first time. Chapter 3. I'm just seeing if y'all's paying attention or not. Revelation chapter 3. All right, Revelation chapter 3 first. Look in verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Then you can lose a crown. A crown's a reward. It's not salvation, it's something that you're getting after you're saved for serving him. Then look in 2 John, 2 John, verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. If you wrought it, you work for it. But that we receive a full reward. Then you can lose rewards. And so we've got to be careful. We don't want to lose rewards. We want to keep our rewards. Now I'll go back to 1 Corinthians 3 and we'll finish this thing out. 1 Corinthians 3. I should have told you to hold that, shouldn't I? 1 Corinthians 3. I did not remember I was even coming back. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now let's look at it again. Verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest. Then each person has a responsibility to work for the Lord. You may not be a preacher. You may not be a Sunday school teacher. But if you're a Christian, you ought to work for the Lord. Everybody ought to do something for him. For the day shall declare it. We say what day? The judgment day. Because it shall be revealed by fire. All our works are going in fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Is it good works or bad works? Let me ask you a question. What do you think happens to wood, hay, and stubble when you put it in a fire? It's going to be done. If that's all you're laying up is things that really don't even belong to God, just living your own life any way you want to and getting God out of it, that's just going to burn up in the fire and you're not going to have anything to show for your work here on earth. You can be saved and go to heaven, but wouldn't you like to have some rewards when you get there? You don't have to be popular to get rewards. You just got to be a servant to get rewards. Now, what happens to gold and silver when it goes in the fire? I know what happens. It purifies it. It gets all the impurities out of it. They get separated. They put that in there, and they call it dross, D-R-O-S-S. And that dross separates, and they get that, and they make it pure gold and pure silver. And they purify it in the fire. And it makes it even better is what it is. And those kind of works, they're going to last. You won't get rid of them. They're going to last. You ever house fires and things like that? If they had jewelry in there, if it's real gold, it's still there. It may not be in the same form. But it'll still be there. It'll be somewhere. It may have to dig it out. It's awful, but anyway, it's the way it is. All right. Then he says in verse 14, If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If it burns up, he don't get a reward. But if it abides, he will. If he has good works, he gets rewards for those. But if he has dead works, things that don't matter for God, those won't count on the other side. You say, well, I'm living my life the way I want to live it. Well, you're welcome to do that. And that's fine. Everybody's got that opportunity to do so. 
But you're not going to be happy when you stand before the God, for the Lord, and you don't have anything to show for what you did. It's like, well, you know, all that stuff down there, that was just physical material stuff. That was self-centered stuff. That's just for you. There's nothing wrong with having fun, having a good time. But we ought to do something for the Lord while we're here. Do something for him. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. He'll just lose it. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. So the, the person, himself or herself, they'll be okay. It's their works that they're losing during that time. And so God's going to judge us. Now, Christian, here's how it works out. The Lord judges me and you on our works after we get saved. How we serve him on our service. And by the way, you know all those sins that you did before you got saved? He forgot about that. That's been washed away. That's been done with. That's not coming up again. And not only that, you can get forgiveness for sins after you're saved. Just keep, you say, well, who has to do that? Everybody, if they're honest. I've heard people say, well, I hadn't, I hadn't sinned in 60 years. You're the biggest liar we've ever met, is what we say about you. <laughs> oh, yes, you have. You say, what do you do? There's only one man that hadn't sinned, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's it. The rest of us, you say, what do we do? We do the best we can if we mess up. Don't let that stop you. Ask God to forgive you and get back up and move on. That's what you do. Everybody fails somewhere. That doesn't give you a license to sin or license to do wrong because God's not for that. We can just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I messed up. Would you forgive me? And he will forgive you every time. God's a God of forgiveness. Don't care what you've done. God can forgive you. And he wants to forgive you. And so just get that taken care of and ask for forgiveness and you say, well, I just don't know about asking for forgiveness. You can ask for it from him, surely. Yeah, he'd be all right. He'd be all right. Go ahead and ask him. He'll forgive you. Move on with it. But those works right there, we need to do something for him. I don't think we've got a lot of time left. And so if we're going to serve him, we better get busy doing it. And I think a lot of you are, and I appreciate that. I'm glad to see it, too. I like to be part of a church that's alive, got something going on. and We've got something special right here. Something special. God's been good to us. All right, we're going to stop. Any questions or comments?